On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called butt of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Matewa, O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, Stamp! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. And in the second half of the show, we're delighted to be joined by Ireland women's head coach, Greg McWilliams. We're going to talk all things Six Nations as they prepare to play Italy this Sunday in Musgrave Park. But first, we've Rory O'Connor here with us to go over all the latest club news. Rory, it's obviously an exciting weekend of rugby to come with all the Champions Cup action kicking back into gear. But, but first, the news I think that has dominated today is Dan Levy. Unfortunately, he's had to retire I think at the age of 27, going to be 28 at the end of the season, but still such a young man. And obviously never really recovered from that terrible injury he suffered a couple of years ago. But I know you were writing about it today already. It was such a sad way for a career to end, a guy who had so much promise and was part of that great year in 2018 when Leinster and Ireland swept all before them. But a very disappointing way for his career to have to wind up. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I know he's. it's three years now since he suffered that injury. So, like, his career really ended on, on March, was a March 30th, 2019, when Fian Herbst came in from the side and smashed him with no arms and, and he had his legs planted and he just suffered this cataclysmic knee injury. And he's played 17 times for Leinster since, but, and he's played well at times. There's been times I've looked at him and gone, God, you know, is he coming back? Is it? And I've been kind of hoping he has been. I've, like, I'm a huge fan of the way he played the game and I thought he brought so much to the table when it came to Leinster and Ireland. Um, but he obviously just, he knew, I mean, Luke can speak to the experience of what it's like to, to have to go early and, and to try and struggle against the, your body in, in the way that Dan Levy has. But what a player. I mean, a magnificent, magnificent open side flanker who can play across the back, back row. I've, I spoke to Sean O'Brien about an hour ago and a piece in tomorrow's paper about how he knew from an early age that, you know, that he knew that his, his replacement was there, that this guy could basically take on the jersey and, and, and own it for the next 10 10 years. He only won 11 caps for Ireland, which is just staggering considering the impact that he had. He felt like, he, you know, he, he could have been a 50, 100 capper, you know, but it, but unfortunately in one incident it all got taken away from him. Um, and it's just, it's really, really sad. And it's it's a real indictment of, of rugby that, you know, players like him weren't protected in the way that they should have been because, you know, it, he he was just doing his job. He put his head where the, the sun don't shine to try and win a ball back and, he, he got taken out by something that happens just in every rook, you know, like I wouldn't hold it against VM Herbs particularly, but 
it happens at every rook that people come in and all sorts of angles and, and don't get punished for it. And these are the consequences. It's it's a guy who has to put his hang up his boots at 27, who's been robbed of the best years of his career. So it's uh, it's very unfortunate, but he leaves a legacy like he, you know, he didn't he didn't just you know he, he won a lot during the time he was playing. He, he you know, everyone will remember, I think everyone who saw him will remember him play. They'll just feel a bit sad that he didn't get to play more. It's really unfortunate. Yeah, Luke, you know, what are your thoughts? As Rude mentioned there, you know, obviously similar to yourself, you know, I had to step away due to, you know, injury-related problems. You know, it's very disappointing for him. Yeah, look, very difficult. I mean, I think um, it's a sad way to go. You know, I think it can be tricky, though. I mean, it, look, it, to, it's it's probably a little bit of a relief in some respects because I feel like he's really never recovered from it. Um I got back close and well, no, I never really got back to where I should have been, but I got, I got, I got to a pretty good level. Um, afterwards, uh, after t- 2010, I think it was November. I had that, that knee surgery. And then I had another like that, and that next surgery I had in 2012 was very significant. I mean, there was no one playing rugby with that injury. So, um, and they were kind of big, you know, kind of traumas on the body. Um, uh, and the more I look back on it, the more I think it was really remarkable that I actually ended up playing after. But look, enough about me. I feel, that's, I feel silly even talking about me in this, but there is some, certainly some um, some crossover in terms of, look, I think I would, I would say, I, I don't think it's too far a stretch to say that I had a pretty promising career ahead of me probably um, and spend most of it on, on, on the bench, or sorry, in, in the injury kind of room. Um, and I think Levy falls into that category. He's probably a little bit of a later starter than me. Um, probably came into a more competitive setup, in fairness. It was probably more difficult to break in. Um, you know, Rory talks about Sean O'Brien being ahead of you. Pretty hard guy to oust. And the team was in a very good position. But he was a brilliant player. He had a great mentality, like really, really tough. I think he didn't really care. You know, he's kind of a, an abrasive enough bloke anyway. Like, I don't really think he cares if he's you know, kind of ruffling feathers. Um you know, I think he was a guy who I think he got the most out of himself as well. I don't think he actually was starting in some of the, the school's rugby teams that he played on. He kind of came from like the C team and ended up on the A team and just kind of his career. Maybe that was around fourth or fifth year or something like that. And all of a sudden his career just kind of trajectory just took off and he just never really stopped. He seemed to just keep ticking off teams and awards and, um, you know, w- you know, trophies and things like that along the way. Um, and look, I think we saw him at the peak of his powers or maybe not at the peak of his powers, but certainly, you know, the impact he made in that 2018 team. I mean, he was the key guy, I thought, or would, certainly one of the key guys. Um, and it's just so disappointing that we don't get to see more of it from him. I mean, I think it's fair to say he probably did struggle on after that. Um, like it was such a big injury that I think given how abrasive he plays and how, you know, he's always on the edge of the physical side of the game it was always going to be a bigger ask for him versus say the likes of me who's out further away from the contact has less of them to kind of be involved in to get back to where he got to. Um, so yeah, look, I'm really disappointed for him. I think he's a guy though, who he's a tough guy. I think he'll move on quick enough. I think you can see he's already got a business thing in, in the works. I think some kind of whiskey company or something that he seems to be involved in. Um, I know he's done, he was productive with his time off. Um, you know, I think he went in to, to kind of some interesting places to get some work experience. So I think he's well, you know, you'd worry about some people leaving other sports like football and um, and things like that, where, you know, they mightn't have gone. They might have finished their secondary education, etc. I think he's in a good position to flourish in his next career. So that is probably a positive, um, you know, that I'm, and, and I'm sure all the things that he was in rugby, he will take into his next career and be a success there. So, uh, look, disappointed. 
Um, we did get to see some great things from him. He can look back in time. It'll be hurting now, but he'll look back in time and think, well, look, I did reach, you know, the, the very, you know, the heights of the game and I achieved some great things and had some great times. I would say very similar to, to how I view my own career, even though there was lots of disappointment. Yeah, but as you say, wish him best of luck now uh, with his with his new career or whatever direction he goes in. Uh, we might go back to more on-pitch matters. Leinster Munster obviously was the big one over the weekend. Obviously, he was kind of setting things up ahead of the Champions Cup knockouts, uh, you know, this coming weekend. You know, what, what, what's your view now? Obviously, Leinster, very impressive bonus point win. Are they the story or is it Munster losing to their biggest rivals again at home, you know, in a pretty comprehensive manner? Munster kind of always the story in the in these matters. I, I'm and Munster fans must, they must sorry, must drive Leinster fans absolutely crazy. That like you know, Leinster went down there, gave one of the best performances I've seen in a long time in terms of just the completeness of it. I, I thought it was, I was they were really really good. I mean, to go to your biggest rivals and take away every one of their strengths uh, in such a in such a fundamental way um, was really really impressive. Like Doris, I don't know if it came across on TV how good he was, but in person, just you're just watching this guy going. I mean, you were talking about Dan Levy, like there's just this conveyor belt keeps producing these players. I know he's not the same player, but he's just an incredible, incredible physical athlete. Um, he was so impressive. But for all that Leinster were brilliant, and and maybe that's that is it, that Leinster are just brilliant and Munster just can't get near them. But like, you know, this it just exposes all of the flaws that are within that Munster organization. We still don't know who their head coach is going to be next year. The stadium wasn't full. Um, they had more of their frontline players than Leinster did in, in the team and, and couldn't. Like, Leinster just had them at arm's length at all times. The Van Graan era is winding down. Five years, no trophies. And if you look at last Saturday, you're like, they're not going to win another one. Maybe, like, you know, obviously, you know, most of fans can throw this back at me um, when when it all happens in, in a few months' time and they're standing there with, the, with a double or something. But it's very hard to see at this point. It looks like Leinster just have their measure and can turn up without, you know, their first-choice tie five in the starting team and, and just get through it, you know, and... Kind of the one moment summed it up for me was that just bit before halftime. Munster got ahead in the game, and Leinster turned over their scrum and then turned over, turned them over with a counter up, won a penalty, got ahead, and that just felt like a moment where just you know. But Leinster went up through a couple of gears in the pack, showed their power, and Munster just that was it. I think they just live in a couple of those Munster players' heads at this stage, and you know Andy Farrell picks all the Leinster players for a reason. They're just a better team at the moment, and, and that's really difficult for Munster to deal with. Yeah, and as you say, missing some key guys for the back-to-backs against Exeter, Ty Byrne, Dave Kilcoyne ruled out, Gavin Coombs, who picked up an injury, had another kind of breakdown, uh, you know, instant, you know, Devon Tona clearing him out, got, looked like a nasty leg injury. And they've also lost, I think, three of the last four in the league as well. So they've, they're seeding in terms of potential knockout games later on in the season in the URC has taken a hit over the last couple of weeks too. Luke, what stood out to you, you know, from Tom Park on Saturday night? I think, look, I was amazed at how easy it was for Leinster to score nice tries I thought they were quite they were well taken like a Leinster Munster fixture to me was always a bit of a grind you know um we probably had an edge with the Schmidt there where you might see some nice tries off set piece but generally speaking it was there were difficult fixtures down in Tone Park that didn't look like a difficult fixture to me and I actually thought the referee was generous at times to to Munster if I'm being completely honest um I thought um, I thought they were very very narrow defensively. They got picked apart wide in the, in the wide areas. It just shows you like it's important to have very good wide defenders. Like when I looked at the teams being selected, I thought mm, that's a pretty good monster team. And I think I looked at the two guys in the center. And I thought you know what, you know I'm not so sure about Munster and attack, and I haven't been for quite some time um, against the top defensive teams. But they'll be pretty stingy defensively. 
they weren't like, and I thought the Leinster pack looked very, very comfortable. At, you know, there weren't, there wasn't a period where I was thinking, geez, they look under real pressure. This is, you know, Munster at home front of their crowd. Um, as you said, more of their front liners available than the Leinster team. Leinster looked comfortable throughout, I thought. And I, and I think that um, it's a worrying performance because I think Munster are better than that. Um, and it looked, they looked like they just couldn't deal with it. They looked like they couldn't, they couldn't contain that Leinster team. Um, and I think the biggest disappointment for me was definitely their defense. Like I just thought they were poor in that area. Like they got picked apart badly. Like it, it, there was, there was kind of issues everywhere and they looked like they were a bit passive. I didn't, I thought they didn't look like they dominated many collisions in the tackle um, for a home team against their biggest rivals. I was amazed by it, to be honest. And um yeah, I think that, look, the, the only one thing you would say is, of course, they're missing bodies over the next couple of weeks against Exeter, but um, it could be a nice little wake-up call for them coming into these fixtures. You know, that kind of way, like, this is a, like that was that was such a bad beating that I think, you know, you'd ex- you'd, you have to expect a bounce back. Um, the biggest danger for them is that they look at the scoreline and think that it was actually a closer match than it was. That's my biggest my biggest fear, but I think any coach worth their salt will be, will be able to say, cop the hell on like we're we are better than this and i think they will do better over the next couple of weeks if i'm being honest um even though they're missing some big some big important players for them Rod, just you know you mentioned it there with the coaching situation just if you have any i don't know if you have any insider or kind of you know take on, on what the situation is obviously graham roundtree is being mooted now as the as the most likely candidate to to replace johan van gran i don't know if you agree with that or or if that's your read on it too but just is there an announcement forthcoming in the near future or what <laughs> I think I mean it's April fifth, you know. I mean it's it's kind of mad that this is still a going concern that that they didn't wrap this up. Like like uh, from what I hear, or from what I heard a while ago, like it's gone very quiet. That Roundtree is probably going to get it. That they were looking to bring in a deal war above him, and that um, Noel McNamara would be part of the coaching ticket. Maybe Milton High, the former Georgia coach who's out in Japan at the moment, he working with Eddie Jones at Centauri actually, so he might bring back some nuggets there. But he's worked with um, Roundtree before, that he was going to be brought in as kind of an experienced backs coach. You know, he's a Kiwi, he's very well regarded. He was talked about as well. And like, it's not the, it's not Scott Robertson. Like, some people wanted Scott Robertson, some people wanted Rod. Like, I mean, why didn't, you know, beat about, beat, uh, like, you know, Rod took a, what was it? He described it as a, a kind of courtesy phone call from Munster and said thanks, but no thanks. But like, I mean, you know, if they really wanted him, I think, you, you know, you, you appear in the Eild Array with, with kind of a, a plan and you go like, this is what we want. And, and you, you make him an offer. You can't refuse. I mean, everyone's got a, whether it's an emotional price or an actual price, I don't know, but like they didn't, it doesn't sound like they made much of an effort. It sounds like they just kind of gave him a call and said the interest. He said, no, and they've moved on. And it speaks to just a lack of direction in Munster overall. It's an RFU decision as well as a Munster decision. And from what I understand that the feet are being dragged in, in Balls Bridge and um, rather than down at Homo Park. I think if it was utterly up to Munster, it probably would be already announced. Um, but it doesn't suggest as much faith in the whole thing. And if you think about it, like Bath had their coach in place for next season since, what was it, December or January. They've already signed two Munster players as well as a Munster assistant coach to join Van Graham over there. You know, he's obviously making plans. Um, someone's signing players for Munster. We're not, no one's really sure who. Maliki Fekatoa signed. We don't know who's identified him as the next, like he's obviously a very good player, but like, you know, we don't know who's saying, you know, that John Ryan can leave for Saracens, but Stephen Archer's staying. Obviously, Roundtree has an input in that, but he's not necessarily the head coach. And um, like April's very late in the day. Like Stephen Archer knows he's going to be managing Rumbies next year in 2023. Not next, like not this June, you know, he's taken over then, but he's going home for that. 
there's no long-term plan in place and it's just risks that they're muddling on for another year and then like this whole generation of players are risk their careers passing by without any trophies and ever really landing a blow on Leinster it's pretty grim for them and whether that comes down to a CEO who you know like is he standing up to the RFU and and saying it's it's far too late get this appointment done I don't know you know like it it seems to be just all a bit kind of lacking in direction Mm. yeah as you say it's it's a pretty interesting period and you presume there'll be some clarity on it maybe in the next, you know, two, three weeks or else, you know, at what stage do they have to have the guy appointed? You know, eventually they'll need a guy, someone sitting in that coaching box. Like you can't go on indefinitely, I suppose, but it remains to be seen when, when that might be. Luke, from a Leinster perspective now, you know, they look so well primed for a proper assault of the Champions Cup again. But, you know, this was, do we still know if they are ready to get over the line this time? There's been a couple of high-profile defeats, you know, against Saracens and La Rochelle. Like, do you think they're better placed this year than they were last year, two years ago? Um, yeah, I think they are. I think they are. I think they're in a good place. I think, you know, you'd always... I, they certainly haven't gone backwards. Uh, I think... Um, you know, they're at an interesting juncture in a wider perspective. They are. There's a few interesting bodies that are kind of leaving few interesting ones coming in i don't agree with all of them but um just that's maybe a wider comment i do think the coaching staff is very settled um that's a nice thing and i think they're good coaches you can see all the young guys coming through like there there's a conveyor belt for a reason you know yes you can be in good condition after the academy but i think they've got really good coaching at the top level as well and i think that's why we continue to see people flourishing beyond just an academy kind of type role or, or a promising young player in Leinster. Um, I think the team, you know, understands how it wants to play. I think there's probably growth for them uh, in defense. I still think they can see too many tries. Um, I think they can up that, but I'd probably just rather see it a bit more often. I'd rather see them, you know, hit a couple of the big teams for, uh, for, for no tries a couple of times um that'd be something that i that i'd be looking for if i was them because i think i talked about the two uh munster centers but the two lancer centers are outstanding as well um and i think the the guys in the outside look like i mean i'm just so impressed with jimmy o'brien i think he looks like a lovely player um you know they got a lovely settled back three there um you know and i think they're coming on from a defensive perspective um so yeah look i expect this team and look when johnny sexton comes back in they become they become very physical and that that, that 10 12 13 is actually very physical when he's there uh ross Byrne, i think i think was good there i actually thought he had an excellent game under the radar by the way um i mean some of those passes that he picked were, were precision uh for those leinster finishes i might have made light of them uh, i thought the Munster defense should have been better but um i thought some of the some of the passing from Byrne was brilliant i thought he had a great game uh, didn't kick well off the tee, but geez, he was brilliant around the pitch. So um, if Johnny Sexton can't make it all the way through, I think they have a good lieutenant there. Um, and he's guided the team in big games. So, yeah, look, I, I feel like uh, they're in a very good position for for to go deep in the Heineken Cup. Um, I still think they to lose will be tricky, but I think they can beat them. And I don't see any other team that I think will be able to take them um, when it, when it comes to crunch time as of yet. I still think they're the team to beat because I just feel like they're very settled, know how they want to play, have big game players, a good coaching staff, all the things you need to be, you know, consistently successful, which is what they have been. Um, can they take the stack the next step and make sure that a team doesn't catch them out on a day? Um, I think they do that if they get better defensively, a little bit better defensively. And I think they can do that. So yeah, they're the they're still the team to beat, Will. 
one thing Luke mentioned there, Rod, you know, about Ross Byrne and his performance, because it was just another interesting night in the kind of the revolving door out the out half and who's second choice to Johnny overall. Like, you know, Joey Carberry obviously started for Munster. Argue, you could say that Ben Healy kind of got them going a lot more when he came on. So it kind of raises the question again about Joey Carberry's best position or whether he is the best 10. You know, they're playing extra this weekend. Would you start Ben Healy? Is there an argument to be made to, to give him the, the 10 jersey for this game? Yep, I would. This stage, I think the way things are, have gone recently, I think Ben Healy's he's played more for Munster in, in recent times, and he's he's uh, he's played very well. And like we don't know how these two-legged affairs are going to go, but having a guy who can kick the ball from anywhere is going to be beneficial, I think. And he's not just a kicker; he's got it. He's got it all. Um, Crowley's good too, isn't he? Crowley's very good. And yeah, they're, yeah. They're both bigger guys than Joey too. Like defensively, you become better when they're there as well. Healy made a few lovely tackles, I thought. Any any thoughts on that, Rudd? I know yeah, it's a weird no. thing for a ten to well, say, no, but it's important. He and he and Casey made a huge difference when they came on. Um, now it's that's their job, you know. Like so, so like Joey was there from the start. He was behind the pack that got beaten. I still think he's a very good player, but it, like you keep coming back to the fact that Stuart Lancaster, who's probably the best coach in Ireland right now, thought he was a fullback. And you know, had he stayed at Leinster and played fullback for his career at Leinster. You know, would he have, what, what kind of career would he have had? How many more caps would he have had? Like, I think his role with Ireland and, and with Munster could even still, still, you know, be there. We, you know, Larkin was asked a bit about it today in the press conference, and he kind of has said they're not thinking in, in that direction. But, like, if that's his best position, it doesn't matter whether he's Ireland. Like, Munster shouldn't care that he's Ireland's number 210. He should be their number 115 if that's their, his position. Or, like, they shouldn't be, that shouldn't mean they're, like, at this stage of the season, it should be up to them to pick whoever is the best player for the, for the team. So, um, and what's your read on that? How, off, much, yeah, how much scope go. do Munster have to say, well, we want to play him at 15, you know, all the time? Or, like, is there a question of the IRFU or Andy Farrell being able to be like, well, actually, no, we want well, to see him at 10? At some stage, Munster have to just either just not answer the phone for a while. You know, like, they, like they've got to stand up for themselves. And, like, if, if that's the right decision, you know, it can't be, like, obviously, everyone's part of Team Ireland, but for this next eight weeks, these players have a chance to win something for Munster. And it might be their only chance ever. Some of them are getting on in years. Like, this coach is gone at the end of the season. If anyone could tell Andy Farrell where to go, it's, it's Johan Van Graan. He can just, he doesn't have to talk to him anymore. He never has to deal with, like, the New Zealand tour has nothing to do with him anymore. He's going to bat. Like, if Andy Farrell wants, like, you know, Johan Van Graan to pick Thomas O'Hearn ahead of Jason Jenkins, like, that's not Johan Van Graan's problem anymore. He just, he should just tell him where to go, you know? Like, it, it some say Munster have to stand up for themselves, and and if if this is they might they don't think maybe they don't think this way. They sign out Joey Carberry as a ten. They may see him that way. They 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 may completely disagree with us. But like Ben Healy at the moment is playing better rugby, and he's less experienced. But you know Joey Carberry's missed an awful lot of his career. He hasn't. He may not. You know he's got a lot of years under his belt. And I, as I said, I'm not writing him off fundamentally forever. I just think right now, like Healy probably gives you a better chance. And the same goes for Casey ahead of Murray. I, I would go for that as well. Um. It's you a know, better I, use of their resources with Joey. Like it's it's always been a better use of their resources, hasn't it? Like I mean, I just I I I'm sure Will is like sick to his teeth hearing me saying that guy's a ten, a fifteen, but you can see it a mile off. Like he's like a good ten, but he's he's a potential to be an outstanding fifteen. He opens up the pitch for you. He's got great footwork. He's actually not bad under the high ball. He's got a nice kicking game. Like he opens and he opens up Zebo Earls Conway for you and gives you something outside of two centers who Farrell can throw a pass, but he, all he has to do all day is sit in behind and he opens up the whole pitch for you. He opens up, he brings you into the 15 channels where Munster, I think, struggle to get there 
from the middle of the pitch a, a lot. I think they struggled and they struggled to be good there. Like he'd be able to push full backs deeper because he's got a nice kicking game. He's got a lovely chipping and 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 um, grubber game. Oh, I don't know. He just opens up everything for you if he's one channel out. Um, I, I just find it absolutely that they won't even consider it. Now, maybe they are behind closed doors, but I just feel like you've two guys there that are, they look really promising to me and they look like they're a better size to go on and be international rugby players in the front line of your defense, which like, I just feel I've always felt that a bigger guy is a big plus to have as your 10. You do not have to be worried about him getting absolutely clobbered all day. As much as people will target sex and he's still a big guy, he's been able to handle that stuff for 10 years. And in the big games, he's all, it makes Ireland stingy defensively. If you've got a guy there, who's big. And then the, of course, like you have to have the ability to, to play both of those guys do have the ability to play and they've got good kicking games. I just, I don't know. I just, I, I, it's kind of frustrating me now at this stage. I feel like there's a lot of people in Ireland. Like we have, like if, if Ireland are directing that, that, that 10 position for Munster, I feel like they are short. They're being really short sighted on it because I just don't feel, or they just don't understand back play properly because that is not a good use of our resources. He is definitely better suited to play in 15. I just can't, I don't know why they can't see that. Um, because it does open up that position for two young, very promising monster players too. Like one of them has to leave if they're going to keep picking Carberry there. They have to. They're they're wasting their careers. Like I heard Crowley was, you know, Raj approached him. Now I'm going off on a tangent here, but I heard he approached him to go to La Rochelle. Like how he didn't go there thinking that he's going to be sitting behind or competing at least for the scraps of that position with, with Healy is beyond me. That seems like a crazy decision. He should have signed a short-term contract, but that's that's the view on that one. Sorry, I just I, I know I kind of digress a little bit, but that's a that's been a really frustrating thing for me for quite some time watching that position and what they're doing with it because I just don't know why they can't see he'd be a brilliant fifteen. It drives me mad. Well, yeah, it will be the monster team selection will be many interesting subplots to look out for to see if they do go with Ben Healy or Carberry at fifteen or if they if they stick with Carberry at ten. But for now, Rudd, thanks so much for joining us this week. Cheers, guys. I was delighted to be joined on the show this week by Ireland women's head coach Greg McWilliams. Greg, how are things? Hey, Will. How are you, Lukey? Thanks for having me on. No, our pleasure. I know you're very busy this week. You know, the preparations for Italy in full flow. You know, how do you reflect on the first two performances against Wales and France? I'm sure, obviously, ideally, you would have liked to get the win. And I know you've kind of talked about some of the positives in your post-match comments, but there's probably a few things you want to work on as well. Like, how do you kind of assess things after the first two rounds? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think, look, you can't uh, be too competitive in games if your set piece isn't firing. And, you know, we, we've, uh, you know, Dave Gannon's with us, Lukey, who you'd know pretty well, and Rob Sweeney, they're doing a great job. And it just takes time to to get up the speed against teams that have got very good set pieces in place. It's, you know, the other teams you play against are very consistent. They're prepping for a World Cup. They've got consistency of staff, consistency of, of their leaders. So, kind of like a, a new group of players coming together. Um, but in terms of, I suppose, our tenants and what we're trying to build on, there's a lot that we're very happy with. Um, but that only goes so far. I know the Irish public want wins and they demand wins. So we understand that's time that we can turn some of the good positive shoots that we have into into hopefully in, into hopefully a win this weekend. Yeah, and is you know, some of the numbers from the games that I know you've kind of been interested in digging into that you might maybe give some context into, you know, what you're trying to do as a team or how you think the games have gone. Yeah, I, look, I, I think for me, like the first two games have been a massive learning. Um, 
against Wales, the ball was in play for over 39 minutes. And against France, it was 38 minutes. You know, I know France kicked the ball more than us the weekend, but we still managed to have 50% possession. Uh, unfortunately, our territory was, was, I think, 44%. So, you know, without a set piece and without territory, it's very hard to control the game. But in saying that, you know, our carries were up, our metres gained were higher than France. Um, our, our gain line made percentage-wise was was higher. We'd worked around the collision. And you look, we're looking to play a quick style of rugby. We're looking to use the ball. We're looking to develop skills. And unfortunately, we had a high error count with 15 handling errors uh, last week against France. And, you know, you're watching from the box and you just know, like obviously as a, as a head coach, you're frustrated. The staff are frustrated, but the most frustrated are the players. And it's a case of just, I think, working on getting a little bit bigger in terms of being back in game and getting set a little bit deeper so there's less pressure on, firstly, on the uh, catcher, but also then on the actions post-catch uh, post against like good defences that are pretty well pretty well engaged. So um, it's just a case now we've got a skill session tonight here at the HPC and we just continue to work on, on getting better. Uh, I think... The danger you can have as a coach is that you, you tend to add too much. I think this week is actually about adding nothing and just getting just getting a rhythm uh, in play. And hopefully we can see more of those good uh, passages of play that we saw. And, but look, I mean, before we look at our attack, I think our defensive um, our, our defensive shape and our, our two tackles that we're looking for has, has really been excellent. And it's been enlightening. It's been inspiring for me as a coach. It does give you hope. I mean, Neve Jones, our hooker, uh, has had 34 tackles in the first two games, 23 against Wales, 11 against France, and she's made all 34 tackles and 18 were dominant. So, I mean, you know, individuals have, have put in uh, good performances. We're at 92% in terms of our tackle completion against Wales, which is excellent. In France, we're slightly down. We're down around the 82% mark. So it's still enough to build on. And um, yeah, just looking forward to getting down to Munster on Thursday as a group and putting in a prep that we can get to Sunday and hopefully put the best foot forward. Yeah, Luke, you know, what stood out to you over the first two weekends in terms of things that you've picked out that maybe the team can improve on, or even as Greg mentioned, a couple of things there that he's he's been pleased with? Yeah, well, I think, um, to my mind, what's really impressed me, and I was saying it last week, my family were all at the, at the first game as well. Look, I know we're probably a little bit earlier on in the journey than some of the more settled teams. Um, as probably Greg has alluded to in a couple of the press conferences that I've kind of uh, listened to. I think um, the willingness to play, I think if you look at the men's team and you just look at the population in Ireland and kind of what we have to, what, what, what's, what are kind of going for us? I think that's really what I've liked. I've liked I thought, thought the, particularly uh, the offloading has really stood out to me, some brilliant offloading. Um, and interesting to hear Greg's stats on, on the gain line um, percentage wins. Like that's very, they're all very positive things and things you can build on. So they're probably the things that have, that have stood out to me. Um, like I'm aware that there is, you know, certainly I look up there, there's we're earlier on in the journey, you know, and I think um, what what uh, there, there's plenty, plenty there to build on in my mind. And I think the team has I think it has a high ceiling, actually. I think if you look at, you know, the the the, the sevens team, you look at some of the athletes that we have um, I think we're going in the right direction in terms of the game plan we want to play. I think to be successful and, and, and Greg is like you just. You need to be a bit stingier, I think. Defend all the good teams, I think, are stingier defensively, and I think that'll be a big focus, I'm sure, um, for the girls this week and for for the coaching staff because, um, 
you know, I just think if you can do that, you make yourself very difficult to beat and there's loads for you to kind of build on. And then I think you can really flourish on the attacking side because I think there's plenty there in the attacking that side that we've seen. But certainly, you know, once the defence and, and look, Greg said it there, he'll know better than me. But, you know, the, the, the set piece as well, once those things are, are kind of bedded down and you've got your big pillars there, I think that's what you can build. And there's your foundation and then you can go and really play, um, play your game and attack and get the results that you want. The results follow those two things, I think. And that's when I'm thinking of rugby teams, that's always what I'm watching um, for, for consistency of performance and consistency of results. I don't know if that's it, if, that, if, if you agree with any of that, Greg, if you think there that, I, that I'm off, um, you know, I haven't been watching this team as long as you. Yeah. I mean, look, like I'm only, I only started in December. Um, you know, like, so for me, this has been a massive learning and, um, you know, after the after the French game, there's 10 minutes left and I was sitting in the box and I, I turned around to to some of the staff that were there and I was like, look, I'm really actually happy about this. I think we're in the right place. I think France deserved that scoreline, which people might not like to hear. I think you, you need to own these performances. You can't hide behind them and they need to be better. But at the same time, we've got a group of players who know they need to be better as well and they're working as hard as they can. And you can't just, your scrum doesn't just, you know, become effective overnight it takes like time it takes a, a rhythm it takes cohesion it takes a consistent message that you're trying to get across but like certainly if you imagine like the welsh game we carried high um our our support players weren't targeting the threats they're targeting the ball but against france against bigger bodies that was the one thing we focused on and that was that was significantly improved so in, in that one week if you break down that week, you know, uh, 156 or whatever hours it is, we probably only had about an hour and a half of actual rugby together. Um, so you've got to be quite smart about how you put in those minutes and make sure that you've got the right, you know, the right RPEs so that, you know, you're saving yourself for games as well. So um, you're trying to get as much done, but at the same time, you can't do too much. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the key thing in any game of rugby is if, if you've got a good functioning set piece and you're controlling the territory and you're, and you're attacking good parts of the field, you have a better chance of being successful. I think, you know, the players are more aware of it than, than people who are listening here. And Greg, you know, you, you touched on the prep time you have, you know, how difficult is it to, to go and rectify some of these issues around the set piece, say, when you have so little time? Because I, I, I don't know how many people will be aware who's listening, but, you know, obviously, as you said, Thursday is when you actually get to meet up again properly as a group. Obviously, some players would have work commitments and some people would have maybe college commitments so that you know, they can't be around for, for the whole prep week. You know, how difficult is that as a coach when you do want to put your best foot forward and kind of right some of the wrongs, but you don't really have that much time to kind of be on the pitch and actually kind of going through things with the players? Yeah, I think it's just about being smart and utilizing your time and utilizing technology. I mean, look, we're in tonight. The girls are currently in the gym at six and then we've got a skill session at seven o'clock. And this is the first time we've been together since uh, we, we departed from the HBC after the trip back from France. And we won't be together again until we go through individual uh, one-on-ones on Thursday uh, afternoon down in, down in Cork. So between getting home and this session, there's been a huge amount of sharing of information through WhatsApp and putting together video reels and, you know, areas that we're looking to prove on and good instances of, of what we're trying to create because they need to focus on what's going well. You know, it's not a case of always focusing on things that you need to improve. We need to improve everything. What, like even things that are going well, you want them to be better. But as long as you're sending on clips and the players are coming back and we've got our, you know, we've got a scrum group, we've got a lineup group, we've got an attack group, we've got a fence group, we're all feeding information in because, that's the biggest thing for me is you're trying to improve our our understanding of the game as well. I mean, some of these girls don't have a big training age and 
they're going from playing an AIL game in front of 50 people to playing in Stad uh, Toulouse in front of 13,000, you know, with the TV cameras there. And they've never experienced this before. So it's just incredible. Uh, like I was with the Irish women before um, while I was at St. Michael's and doing my bits and pieces. I was coaching with the women before. And, you know, like we might have got, even in the good days, we won Grand Slams and got to World Cup semifinals. You'd be lucky to get 1,500 people at a game. And there's very little coverage. And now it's got its own window. The coverage is massive. And, you know, it's, 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 a, pretty, it's a pretty popular competition. And there's no doubt that we're working as hard as we can. But we have a long way to go, I think, to be, to be competitive. But, you know, it's not being disingenuous. It's about being realistic. You know, we've got high hopes. But we also have to own, as I keep saying, when things go wrong, we've got to be, we've got to be hard on ourselves as well. You know, because we don't just want to be that pity team that talks about pride the whole time. Um, but as long, and you know this, Lukey, um, from from our times before, but if you have a group of people who are willing to work hard and are grafting for each other, it's amazing what you can achieve. And at the moment, that's been the most inspirational thing is we do have a group who are working hard together and doing their best to improve things. I think you always have a chance if you have that as your core value. And I think it's it's interesting that we just just to to tie in with with some of those points. Like I think they're really interesting ones that you make on the you know the crowds and the camera because even you know I think did, did Hugo Hugo Keenan maybe obviously you know professional rugby player you know playing you know tr- you know practicing his craft every single day playing against you know other professional rugby players all the time the best of the best in terms of all um you know all the kind of facilities and etc uh, that that he he would be availing of he, they obviously spoke of say when they were in the stade de france like and how difficult they found playing in front of crowds remember they hadn't played in front of crowds um so that's that's an interesting point that you make and i think that's relevant for any sports person and and that's that'll be a great experience for them you'd expect your team to to be able to build on that experience now and not be maybe overawed by that in the future but even i suppose when I think of, you know, just just for some of our listeners, if you make the, the comparison, and it's a really good one, I think, as well, of, say, Eddie Jones and his coaching staff. So you guys are obviously new in there, and you were talking about, say, bedding in ideas. And, yeah, obviously you don't have as much time, and that's a challenge. But, like, you see how difficult it is even for, say, the likes of England. Like, I think they're really struggling because they've had a lot of turnover of coaches. They don't have, a you know, a, an idea about how they want to play yet from this coaching staff. And I would assume that you're probably in that position where you're just trying to get, you know, you have a picture of how you want the team to play or how you think, you know, that, you know, a way of playing that suits all of the abilities that this team has. That takes time to get in there. Like, I mean, and it's interesting. I really think you're on the, on the right track when you're, when you're saying, you're, you know, you focus on the positives and, you know, you pick a few other bits that you probably want to focus on as well. Um, but you can't go too too far in depth. Like, you know, you have to build, I think, to get to that picture that you have in your mind of how the team are playing because they're not going to get it straight away. Is that a view you might share? Is that where you think, am I off base in those two observations? Or No, and no you're bang on. I think, like, with any team, like, you know, I don't like to think of this as a women's team. It's a group of players that you're trying to prepare for a rugby match. And the first thing you have to do as a coach is to profile your players and and from that you decide what's the best way to play and then you profile your culture and, and you profile what's at your heartbeat and you look historically of the Irish and how they fight and how they you know particularly like I always talk about the women in my family from my daughter to my wife to my mother my sister like there's so much crack with them as well you know and they're fierce people you know like you wouldn't get on the wrong side of my mother um, or my wife for that matter but like they have that ability to have so much grit. There's so much charisma uh, in what they do. And I think that needs to be at our heartbeat. So it's important for me that, 
you know, when a, when somebody is turning on the TV and they're watching this Irish team play, yeah, like it might be a slow process, but if they see that positive body language and they see that there's people out there that are doing everything in their power to get things right, that for me is really important because if we have our, you know, if we have our emotional intelligence right and we have our articulation around how we're trying to play, that should that should become something that's infectious and that creates intent as well. And you know, there's nothing better in rugby than having having intent. Uh, it's very infectious for a group. So we're just hoping again when it comes to Musgrave Park that our body language is strong, that people see that we've got a good energy around us, that our DNA is the right one, and that we are looking to play exciting rugby because I always say to the girls, like, you must lose sight of the shore to discover new lands. I say it nearly every single day to them because you know, you have you have to go into the middle of the ocean and then be prepared to go forward when there's no land around you. What you don't want to do is like revert to going back to go back to the shore and do what you've done before. We've got to just back ourselves that we're on the right path and, and they've got to be brave to do that. And you're just hoping that that comes out and how how we're performing. Um, and the goal is that the more you're with the team and the more they play, the more consistent that will be. And then hopefully the more successful you are. Yeah, great. You mentioned coming in in December, so it's like not a huge amount of time in the job so far. You know, are there any aspects to it that you found surprising or, or maybe more challenging that you maybe had initially thought? Um, look, I'm, I mean, you're always trying to make sure that the, there's a pathway there of players coming in that, you know, are, are getting really good coaching and they have good experience playing. But then you also want to make sure that you have the personnel around the players and you have the resources that allow you to to do what you need to do to be successful, you know, and, and high performance. I, I, I always talk about this high performance, isn't the building high performance are the people within the building, like the building can excel, accelerate your development. So like I'm here at the HPC, you know, with full-time chef, uh, the girls are downstairs in an incredible gym. We've got an indoor field now uh, that has four different camera angles where we'll get the footage after training. Um, you know, there's, there's great recovery rooms. The offices are great. There's analysis rooms. There's everything that you need to be successful. So coming from America, you know, with the men's team for the Rugby World Cup, where you don't even have enough GPS units to come in here and to have this as your base to, uh, you know, to train from is is incredible. Um, and I think that's why USA was really important to me, because you learn how to be really grateful um, and appreciate um, all the good things that we have. And uh, yeah, I, I have to say like, you know, it's, again, it's like, it sounds a bit cheesy, but like you have to be entitled for nothing and grateful for everything. So uh, I'm just grateful that we have this uh, facility. And, and that did surprise me because I wasn't expecting that level of, of resources that we have. And, you know, I've got a big staff, you know, like there's, it's not it's like the 16 staff members, you know, I mean, from uh, from four coaches to analysis to SNC coaches to doctors to sports scientists to to nutritionists to administrative staff, I mean, there's a massive team behind the players. And the most important thing at the moment is you want camp to be like Christmas morning, where the girls are excited to get into camp and excited to work harder and excited to represent the country. And I think if we get all those things right and we stay on a on a very simple course that's got good clarity, I think you're hoping that you can see a, a turnaround in fortune. But Without fail, you know, our goal has to be the World Cup is on end of September, start of October. Historically, at the end of a World Cup cycle, there's a big turnover of staff and there's a very big turnover of players. But for us, we're hoping there's going to be no turnover of either. So we've got the ability to essentially get a little bit of a head start against teams that are going to be developing post-Rugby World Cup. And that's where the patience comes in, you know, and uh, 
now that we're on the big stage, as you said, Lukey, you know, we need to be able to take things on the chin as well. You know, you gotta, you gotta be able to, to listen to some negative criticism and that's fine. You know, like I think we're under, uh, under no illusion that, you know, there's standards within Irish rugby across the board that we need to, we need to kind of match and, and meet. Um, so that's, that's one of our targets is just, you know, being able to compete and hopefully this weekend is another opportunity for us to learn about ourselves and hopefully put on a better performance and, and come away with a win. And Greg, one of the big challenges, I'm sure, you know, the, the sevens and fifteens kind of, you know, balancing act. I know, you know, a lot of the players will have to leave uh, the Six Nations squad for a sevens tournament in a couple of weeks' time. Like, how difficult is it to, to get that balancing act right? It's a big challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that we're just going to have to work through as best we can. Um, it's a World Cup year for sevens. And, you know, they have a they have an event in Canada at the end of April. So, um, you know, we got to prepare ourselves for a big change in our in our squad post Italy and, and pre England. Um, and that's just our, our way of looking at the depth in the squad. Unfortunately, you're going away to you're going away to um, to England, which is probably the toughest of fixtures. But it's still a good chance for us to test people and see how they cope on the big stage. Um, you know, Aidan McNulty, who's the Sevens head coach. Yeah, we're aligned. We got on very well together. And as I said, he's got a World Cup to plan for and um, his players have to prepare for a World Series event in Canada. But look, it's not ideal, but that's where our depth is at the moment. And our, our goal is to try and increase that, that depth over the next couple of years that you're not just dependent on the same people who are playing between, between the two. So the short-term goals in between now and the end of the championship, you know, obviously a win would be, you know, great this weekend against Italy. But and you you touched on some of the kind of other things you'd like to see. You know, how how achievable do you think the, that is between now and the end of the championship? Like you want to win, you know, like we we desperately want to win because we're putting in a lot of work. The girls are in particular putting in massive shifts at the moment, and these are girls who've got full-time jobs who you know, getting up before six o'clock in the morning and doing their gym sessions and doing their skill sessions in the evening time and looking at video and doing one-on-ones online over, over Zoom and things like that. I mean, it's phenomenal, the effort they put in. It really is. And I think most importantly, they deserve the win uh, for all the work they put in. And, you know, we are playing against tough opposition. And that's the thing that every team we play against are preparing for a World Cup at the end of September. Um, So... They're further down the track than us. They're more developed than we are. And, you know, but certainly, you know, the old cliche, you do take one game at a time, but full focus is on Italy down in Musgrave Park. We're hoping for a good crowd and we're hoping that we can play some sizzling rugby, to be honest. Um, Good tempo, but also, like I always talk about, the unstructured stuff is great, but, you know, this is a game of structure and you need to be able to compete in those structural moments. So, set piece, kicking game, territory, slow play. Um, and we got to become better at that. And, and that's just part of our development. And we learned that in the first two games and we just have to continue to get better at it. Well, Greg, best of luck this weekend and thanks so much for joining us. Thanks a million, Will. That's all we have time for in the left wing this week, but we will have a left wing extra podcast later in the week with Snake, Hassan and Keen Tracy looking ahead to Ireland's Six Nations game against Italy on Sunday. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.